Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. A number of, well, you probably know if you've been um, coming here that um, a couple of months ago, I did a, um, helped organize a celebration of Ramdas for our community, which was one of the, for me, one of the most special things I've ever been a part of. Uh, and it still has its reverberations uh, for me, um, inviting a number of different teachers, uh, Jack Cornfield, uh, Joseph, uh, Krishnadas, uh, and others. Deborah Chamberlain and I um, uh, hosted it and uh, just talking about um, his impact on our community and also looking at uh, this whole question of devotion. Um, because for me, I came from that devotional uh, background to the Dharma as a, you know, like many, I read Be Here Now, and uh, that was it. It changed my life and something opened up in my heart. But then I I was drawn to the Dharma. Actually, Ramdas said, oh, check out this guy Goldstein. Uh, he's pretty good because uh, I was asking him about meditation. And then many have heard this story before. I, uh, I got into Buddha Dharma, but then uh, went back and, and practiced in a small uh, class with Ramdas. And I kept on going back and forth. Am I, am I a Buddhist? Am I a bhakta, someone who follows the bhakti path, the path of devotion? Um, and really, they're both in there with me. And I, um, I wanted to explore this uh, issue of devotion in practice tonight. Um, and by the way, part of the evening will be, um, I'm going to be sharing a clip from that weekend of a conversation that I had with Joseph Goldstein, um, asking him about devo devotion rather than me uh, giving you a, a synopsis of what he said. I thought we could just watch a few minutes of him talking how he thought of, he sees devotion in practice. So that might be a, just a little teaser for you to uh, stay tuned. Um, but we need to be motivated and inspired to practice because uh, it's that's why I, I got into this class. I was I was sitting I, after I got turned on to the practice in 74 and out in, in Europa in Colorado. And I went back and I was sitting by myself in, in my New York City apartment and it would get dry. And, you know, it was the one thing I believed in was, was practice, but there was sitting by myself, it, it wasn't moist enough for me. And, and Joseph was the one who said, hey, Ramdas is having this, this class that you might check out. Um, and that can sometimes happen where we kind of lose our juice for practice. Anybody know what I'm talking about? where it gets a bit dry 
and it gets um, you're just seeing things as they are and and opening up with equanimity and balance but but you need to really have a a heart connection to be inspired to do this there's a, a quote that i love from uh from blake a great buddhist writer not quite william blake who says those who enter the kingdom of heaven are not the ones who have no passions or have curbed the passions but those who've developed an understanding of them and in that understanding of passion it's harnessing that energy of passion in a in a skillful way and i wanted to share with you uh, a, a passage from one of the great buddhist scholars jnana panika tara talking about devotion in practice jnana panika um was the he wrote the heart of buddhist meditation he was um uh, bhikkhu bodhi's mentor and a brilliant brilliant scholar german born very very clear mind when you read him it's like wow every line counts and it can seem dry but actually it's not and here's what he said about devotion in his very a uh, brilliant intellectual way, but this is what he said about devotion. It would be a mistake to conclude that the Buddha disparaged a reverential and devotional attitude of mind when it is the natural outflow of a true understanding and a deep admiration of what is great and noble it would also be a grievous error to believe that the seeing of the Dhamma, that is having a, a deep understanding and insight, is identical with a mere intellectual appreciation and purely conceptual grasp of the doctrine. Such a one-sided abstract approach to the very concrete message of the Buddha all too often leads to an intellectual smugness. In its barrenness, it will certainly not be a substitute for the strong and enlivening impulse imparted by a deep felt devotion to what is great what is noble and exemplary. Devotion being a facet and natural accompaniment of confidence is a necessary factor in the balance of faculties required for final deliverance. Just stop there. So many people, people have different relationships to this word devotion some people it's very inspiring others there's resistance whatever your religious upbringing maybe you were told okay now pray to whatever and and maybe you didn't feel it or 
you know, for me, I had like the fear of God instead of the love of God. And I didn't quite, I couldn't always get there, couldn't always feel that quality when I was, was growing up. Hmm. And I, I remember uh, one period uh, I, I played uh, in, in my yeah late teens uh, or so, I was longing for some juice and I would play this, um, uh, this great guitarist, uh, blind Reverend Gary Davis, who was an amazing guitarist and I'm just getting the chills as I, I play him all the time still now. And he'd be singing, you know, you got to move, you got to move. And I, for about a year, he was the main thing on my record player because I, I wanted to feel what he was feeling. And, and I, I, it kind of rubbed off on me a bit because I kept on playing it. So, you know, there was something that happened, but I longed to feel what he felt and I didn't quite feel that. So before I go on, I just want to ask you, there's no right or wrong in this, but what is your relationship to the word devotion when you hear the word devotion? And is it, is it juicy? Is it inspiring? Is it resistant? Maybe I'll just um, put the, um, open the chat box. Yeah, it's open. If you want to uh, put some, some comments, um, and what is, what is your connection with it or what does it evoke for you? Faith, devotion is heavy. Yeah, not whatever that means. Love, resistant. It's like giving away, giving power away. There's a negative feeling, consistency. Okay, so many different responses and they're there's no wrong response. This is just first getting in touch with how it lands for you. Because for many Buddhist practitioners, it doesn't land in a, in a juicy, inspiring way. Rigid. Yeah. Any other, any other comments? We can just see if there's any more. External, but I think it should be directed inward. Uh, the opposite of free guilt, fulfilling my conviction, ambivalent. Al-Anon is based on relationship with higher power. And this ex-Catholic is really working to reconcile Buddhism without a God and Al-Anon. By the way, you might check out Kevin Griffin, uh, who's going to be teaching here uh, in, uh, in February while I'm on the, the, the February retreat. He's put together recovery and, and Buddha Dharma. As long as I'm not supposed to believe in the man in the sky, I'm good. Okay, cool. <laughs> For me, it comes down to practice. With practice, I can feel it and do it. Do it. Mere believing doesn't do it for me. Okay, thanks. I'll just stop it right here. It's true that the Buddha warned against blind faith, blind devotion. And there's a story that I, I love of this um, one devotee, um, devotee, uh, disciple, Vakali, his name was, 
who was in love with the Buddha. He'd sit up front uh, at uh, whenever the Buddha was giving a discourse and he'd just sit and he'd stare and he, you know, is the ultimate group, groupie. He had a crush on the Buddha. Uh, and, uh, and at some point the Buddha said, no, this is, this is not, this is not, uh, not good. And he threw him out of the order. He said, you have to leave. It was a really harsh um, punishment, not, not a, a harsh uh, ruling. And Vakali left and he was so bereft, as the story goes, that he had been rejected by his lover, by not his lover, by his love object, I should say. And he was he was about to throw himself over a cliff when, as these good stories go, the Buddha with his super normal powers appeared to Vakali. And he stopped him, he said, don't, don't go over the cliff. Don't do it. I'm here. And then he said, Vakali, I want you to understand that you can look at this form for a hundred years and not see the Buddha, one who sees the Dharma, sees the Buddha, sees what I really am. And with that, it broke the spell. Vakali was allowed to return to the order. And as all good stories, uh, he became enlightened, fully enlightened. He ended up being a, a fully enlightened being an Arhat. But the Buddha said, no, 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 not blind faith, not blind devotion, but, um, but a skillful devotion. And in fact, the other side of that is that the Buddha says there are um, two kinds of practitioners in my Sangha. There are what are called Dhamma followers and faith followers. And Dhamma followers are ones who understand the teachings, put them into practice, and through their own investigation, awaken. But then he says there are also faith followers who their vehicle is not a, a, an analytical investigation, but they have so much faith in what I'm saying, so much faith in, uh, in the Dharma, in the teachings, so much faith in the triple gem, the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and not being, uh, being as a love object, but having that faith, like I tried to borrow from, from Reverend Gary Davis, uh, that they could go all the way through and they can be enlightened also. That you don't hear too much about faith followers, but it's right there in the teachings. He said, this is okay. This is a, a legitimate vehicle. 
because what devotion, one thing that it does in that most skillful way is it, it takes you out of your small self and opens you up to something much bigger than you, whether it's the Dharma or, or the Buddha uh, or, or God or whatever you want to call it, that it takes you out of yourself, out of your small self, and there is a quality of, of surrender into that. And that is a very powerful, legitimate vehicle for awakening. So maybe with that, before there's other things to say, but uh, with that, uh, I'll share this, um, this piece from the, uh, from the practice. Oh, wait a second. I've got to pull it up from the weekend. Oh, there we are. Okay. On a conversation with Joseph and myself. Let's see. Hope this is it. No, that's not it. Hold on. Bear with me. And it's a uh, it's about 10 minutes long. So but you know, listening to Joseph for 10 minutes, it's, that's not, not such a bad thing to do. Um, now if I can just pull it up, right? Where is it? Ah, here it is. Okay. Okay. Can you see it? Okay. Now I'm going to close this. Close this. Oh, I can. I'll put you up here. Okay. So here it is, Joseph talking about devotion. First, uh, I hope you enjoy just uh, seeing that that beautiful smile. Joseph does like to smile, uh, just for those who think that he's just a serious guy. Uh, I don't know, I'm want to move some of this off. Okay. Uh. So there's selfless loving awareness and Ram Dass's bhakti path is the path of devotion, right? Central to his practice. And I, I know that devotion, there is devotion in, you know, in Buddhist teachings, you know, in, you know, I remember Jack saying as a monk, well, if, if, if it moves, he, he would, he, you were supposed to bow to it. Um, you know, moves, you bow. Okay, so there he is bowing all the time. And the Tibetans certainly have a lot of... So, just if you could say a few words of, in your, your thinking, the place of devotion in, in Buddhist teachings. Yeah, so, so I, I see devotion as um, a source of... Um, really a source of an amazing energy to do anything. You know, if we have devotion to whatever, it could be devotion to art or to music or 
or to spiritual practice or to a person. Right? The quality of devotion really is, is kind of a, an engine for, um, for manifesting it and for undertaking a practice and going deep. I see that there are many different ways of um, um, or different skillful means for the development of that quality of the heart of devotion. So one, one way could be as a vehicle for developing the quality. One way could be devotion to a great master, a great guru. Ramba certainly had that with Maharaji. You know, the devotion was so profound, you know, and the devotion to Hanuman. And, you know, so he was using figures, either alive or, or not, mm -hmm. uh, as a way of uh, deepening kind of that energy uh, for realization, you could say for awakening or enlightenment in whatever path. Mm -hmm. So devotion towards a being is one way, but there could be many ways. So for myself, for example, it was not that. It was a, the devotion did not come particularly, even having studied with many teachers and having tremendous respect for all of them and learned so much, mm -hmm. but that wasn't my temperament. Mm -hmm. For me, the, the quality of devotion um, was profound in devotion to the Dharma. You know, I, I just fell in love with the practice and the teachings. Uh, this is just a, a share a story which you know very well and probably a lot of people listening know it too. But it goes back to when I, uh, I was just beginning to meditate. But from the very beginning, I, from the first five minutes, it's like, I just knew that there was something profound here. You know, just this, this way of looking inward and understanding the nature, you know, of our hearts, our minds. Um, so <laughs> this was while I was still in the Peace Corps. I was just so excited by this, and it really was a quality of devotion to it even from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would invite my friends over to watch me meditate. <laughs> of course, you know, they didn't come back. <laughs> so that's when I figured out, oh, I have to start teaching and invite people to come then. <laughs> uh, so this is all to say that devotion can take many forms, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and sometimes it's, you know, directed towards a being but it could be directed just to the Dharma, to the truth, mm -hmm. uh, to the practice. Uh, and it's that quality of devotion is, in a way, it's essential. You know, it's what keeps us going. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just, as you, again, as, as we're talking, I'm, I'm thinking of one, one Dharma uh, principle that, um, that I learned from you uh, around the, the, the Idipadas, the, the the different bases of power or success and uh, uh, you say something about uh, chitta idipada what what, mm -hmm. what 
which I, I think of in, in these terms. Um, yeah, I, I, also, I, I, I also like to frame it in this way. I'm not sure if that is the classical meaning or not. It may be, yeah. but I, it's a little vague when I, when I researched it a bit. It's not exactly clear in the text what it refers to, but I like this interpretation. <laughs> and and what, what was the one that you have it in uh, Insight Meditation, I think, and uh, you had the, the Four Roads to Fulfillment. Right, uh, right. And, and you, you talk about, about that particular one. You don't name it uh, Chitta Idipada, but, um, mm. but I, I've always resonated with that, where... Yeah. Where you you you've talked about it as and I and I certainly resonate within myself as just um, this love of the Dharma that yeah, it, yeah. it feels like you know a, a moth to a to a flame yeah. where uh, and that yeah. that definitely that that was that was when I got hooked I got hooked and I had a hard time with doing that Ramda scene and you know Sri Ram J Ram and. <laughs> What is this? And I, one thing I believed in was was <laughs> but um, but that I had um, right, right. So and I think what's interesting is uh, to see that underneath the object, whether it's kind of the impersonal dharma or a personal being, but the quality of the devotion. It's actually the same thing, you know. And so that's why I say there can be better, there can be a lot of ways for cultivating that. And I see. I don't know. You can correct me if this is mistaken, but I seem to recall early on in your practice, you're coming into an interview once uh, and saying, "I love the Dharma. I love the Dharma," <laughs> or something like that. Oh yeah. Well, uh, Ramdas. It's it's a story I tell in. Uh, uh, on retreats, when when I was in that, <laughs> deciding whether or not this scene was was right for me, and and uh, and Ramdas said, "Well, you know, this is a devotional scene. Now, what do you think about about Jesus? Do you love Jesus?" And I said, "I like Jesus. <laughs> I, like Jesus. I don't know if I." <laughs> Well, what about Krishna? Do you do you love Krishna? I said I like Krishna, but you know, celebration and dancing. But I don't know if I love him. And he said, "Well, do you love God?" And I said, "Ramdas, I grew up fearing God from an old Bible book. You're going to have a good day, and you're going to have a bad day, and the fear of God, not not the love of God. And so when I hear God." I think of the word Dharma. Uh, and then he said, well, do you love the Dharma? And I said, oh yeah. He said, you sure? <coughs> I said, definitely. <laughs> and he said, this is, uh -huh. this was the moment. He said, well, have you ever told the Dharma that you loved it? <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> well, go, go ahead. He said, what do you mean? He said, just say, I love you, Dharma. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'll say it with you. <laughs> and I said, I felt like an idiot. I said, 
said, I love you, Dharma. And we went back and forth like three times or so until I really felt it. And I said, I love you, Dharma. And then tears started coming back. <laughs> he said, oh, there's hope for you yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story and, and beautiful. So yeah. that, that was it. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I knew I had what it took to be in that devotional scene. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then, then I think once, once we've connected with that energy of devotion, then we find you know, a particular form that resonates with us, and it could be one of many. Um, yeah. But yeah. often people, there's a, you know, there's this writer, uh, Wei Wu Wei, mm -hmm. uh, who, he actually was, I think, he's Irish or English, lived in Hong Kong a long time. He wrote these wonderful books, like these little enlightened aphorisms. Uh, so one of them says, disciples, devotees, what are most of them doing? Worshipping the teapot instead of drinking the tea. Yeah, and so I think it's really important to see that it's the quality of devotion that is so important. And that it can, there can be many teapots, right? But we really want to... Uh, connect with the, the energy of devotion and what it most deeply refers to. Mm -hmm. You know, and people again could put different names on it. Could be uh, could be love or awakening or enlightenment or peace or uh, but it's devotion to what we value the most. Mm -hmm. you know, and the form it takes is really not that important. It's mm -hmm. whatever whatever speaks to us. Mm -hmm. yep. So all you could hear all of that, right? Was it okay? Yeah. So um, this is the uh, this is the um, uh, the task to to see what for you touches your heart. There's something about that heartfelt quality, you know, in, in, uh, in the five spiritual faculties, the first one is sadha, which is sometimes translated as faith. Sometimes it's translated as um, confidence or trust or conviction. It, it means to put one's heart upon something to wholeheartedly enter into the practice. And if, you, if your practice is getting dry, um, this is a really useful thing, valuable thing to, uh, to reflect on. And we can, like I say, we can be inspired by others. There's a, a story I'll, uh, that for me was very meaningful on, on a retreat. This is, I was sitting for a month at Spirit Rock uh, in March after I'd taught the February retreat. And, and I was 
in the uh, going, I go into the hall. Sometimes I have a different schedule, and I would I'd love to go in when there's nobody there. And I was there like at three a.m. or so in the hall, and somebody comes into the hall, and I I peeked. I opened my eyes. Who's coming in now? Right, and it was this uh, young woman who I. I then later on became uh, became friends with, and she goes up to the altar and uh, lights a candle and just reverentially bows and prays and in a in a prayer position to uh, to the Buddha, and she is there for you know, a good minute or so. I was so moved by that. It just touched me so that it it awoke that feeling of reverence and just really I, I rode that for some time. So we it's it we can catch that inspiration. And whether it's to something outside or like uh, like Joseph is saying, devotion to the dharma or something inside we need that juice and i'll just say uh, another word or two and then open it up or have you reflect and open it up in in different traditions there's a devotion an outward devotion but ultimately it's a devotion that divine out there is pointing to the divine in you. Uh, like in, uh, in Hinduism, in the Ramayana of Ram and Hanuman, Hanuman, the monkey god who serves Ram. Ram Das means servant of Ram. And Hanuman says this line that has always been so meaningful to me. He says, when I forget who I am, I serve you. When I remember who I am, you and I are one. So it's using that outward um, devotional object to then come back to see that divinity is right here within me. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is within you. But we have these externals that help us realize that that's us. God, guru, and self are one, is a famous line in, in Hinduism. So, um, so maybe I'll just stop here and, uh, uh, and just open it up. And well, maybe I'll, first I'll have you reflect. Uh, how, in your practice, how, how do you or how might you access this heartfelt quality, whether you call it devotion or, or deep trust and surrender? Um, how do you access it in your practice? And if you don't, how might you access it? What can, what can awaken that? that fire, that purity of heart that um, 
makes you want to um, continue on this this path in a joyful way rather than slogging through. Any, maybe um, if you want to put something in the chat box too, but we can take some live responses. Yeah, James, hi. Oh, and uh, unmute yourself. Uh, un unmute, can you unmute? Wait. I have trouble with that. There we go. There okay, go. sorry about this. I was a little trouble with this. No problem. You know, this is, this brings up more questions than I can really even imagine. I mean, and this is, I have to ask, this is, and this is uh, from everybody. How do people, where does bhakti come from? How do people just believe? I know uh, for me, I wonder, and this is just my thought, that uh, it starts with your, your parents and your family to be completely open and to trust. Uh, if you don't, then you become uh, analytical, and that would be me. I mean, one side of the family, uh, I have always had completely bhakti with my mother mm. till she Wait. died, same with my grandfather. James, before you go on, somehow your video is going in and out. Of... I know. I have problems with it. I don't know why that's going. Huh. Well, um, maybe turn off your video for a moment because I'm coming on your uh <laughs> through your screen. Is that the same for others as well? Yeah. This has so, happened before. Here. Okay. Well, I want to see you, but I, I, two of me is way too much. So I, uh, I understand sometimes one yeah. of me is too much. <laughs> uh, so maybe just turn off your video for a moment. There you go. Okay. Okay. Oh, it's you. Yeah. So, you know, where did, where did, uh, Bak, you know, a as Bhakti versus the Dhamma and having experiencing being either with, people with animals with the earth that's where I, I i can get that 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 juice that dhamma where it comes from uh from just uh having experiences with people that have not been trustworthy since maybe age three years old that's where it, i couldn't just fall into to uh Bhakti. Now that that's my question. So, uh, uh, so the question is, I, I, I wasn't quite clear what the what the question. Bhakti. Is. Does it come from uh, our vig our early experiences with our children and parents mm. to mm. be able to be fully open and uh, and have that bhakti thing to be well, able to believe, basically. I see. Well, you know, each person has different conditioning, so yes, I, that, that's I, definitely going to be a factor. Just what what you what you were raised in, and whether it was whether it was a a field of love or a field of fear, uh, or what your the belief systems are. But I think we come into this world with joy and loving life. You know, that, yes. that's what every baby who's or most babies who, who, who are given a little bit of love and are fed and diapered, you know, there's this squealing like, wow, isn't it amazing to be alive? That's deep inside of us. 
but then whatever the conditioning is or or traumatic events or you know there's lots of different ways that and people have different temperaments of course too but i think it's there naturally but it can be squelched or um or just not not supported um and so that affects it but i do think that it's there's a place in of in us if we can get inspired by if we can get inspired by a celebrity or by a an athlete and just say yeah wow and just the heart opens up besides oh what's in it for me i think we have that capacity that potential and then you got to be right where you are and not put anything put any pressure on you to be more than you are uh and uh just see what makes your heart sing really i mean it's here here i am today yeah keep so, coming there you and, go uh, i've had plenty of good enough uh loving from uh half the half the parents they, that's i think awesome. that's that's the one part of it but there's always this kind of skeptical so i need to kind of see it just like but that's where buddha really kind of hit me yeah okay ask see it is mm -hmm. it true you know and so that really hit me even though i had no problem with religion mm -hmm. and i as a child lived around all the world religions mm -hmm. at one time before i was 12. Mm -hmm. so i i was open to it well you just stay open to it and and if if it's something that you sit that you sense is supportive of your practice you just um practice keep following your heart following where there's there's some juice and inspiration uh and you definitely have it in you so thanks thank you thanks Not others any any other comments uh reflections mm. is it kylie let's see i'm inspired by sangha and and metta great where how about for for you how can you bring bring it more into your practice Let me see others. How do you bring it into your practice? This is not a not a, a test, but just what what brings you gives you juice in your practice? Anyone? Is there any juice out there? <laughs> You're shy. If you feel something bubbling up, then it's you. Okay, then I'll, I'll there's more. What's that? I just, yeah, yeah I just, I, yeah. I know when, when I was taking Awakening Joy, I was doing a little bit of practice every day, and I haven't been doing that. And I think maybe doing that more often 
Um, so maybe just doing it on a re more regular basis. Mm -hmm. would be. Do, doing what you mean the awakening joy practices or um uh, the meditating meditating, like meditating. Mm -hmm. yeah just having the, that quiet time that's, that quiet time that's it a, a couple of weeks ago I, I think i played that uh sit around the fire uh piece where where ramdas was saying you know how you quiet your mind and open your heart how do you quiet your mind you meditate how mm. do you open your heart you start loving whatever is there to love you love your dog you love your cat you love your child you love and you keep on expanding what you love from that smaller mm -hmm. circle or object to everything but you quiet your mind is the doorway to opening your heart because when the mind is stressed or busy it's contracted and it it's takes you away from that so thank you okay we've got a couple more phil and and maggie and then maybe we'll have time well um i'm gonna do kind of a buzz kill here <clears throat> um <laughs> when you you know you were back at the hindu buddha thing with ramdas mm -hmm. and i was too i read be here now <clears throat> and he was a hindu so i went hindu and uh I was a devotee of Muktananda's and went to India mm. and their thing heavy is bliss, bliss, bliss. And I used to get real, I mean, I could just get around the guy and I was stoned out of my mind. Mm. So, um, and then this, that, and the other thing happens and I become uh, disenchanted. Mm -hmm. And so eventually I end up at Buddhism where I go to like an introductory class and, and the teacher says, oh, now we will not be experiencing bliss. Like, settle down, dude. It's okay. I don't mind if I accidentally experience some bliss. You don't need to, you don't need to reassure me we won't be experiencing any bliss. And um, also like uh, Chagyam Trumka Rinpoche, you know, uh, he used to describe meditation as cool boredom. Mm -hmm. Well, cool boredom to me isn't, some kind of juicy loving thing all right however um i in my life i volunteered in elementary school between for five to 11 year olds and these kids are just so drop dead adorable it, it you know it's just i'm just filled with affection and love every time i go there so um to some degree i guess you know my uh uh, uh practice you know when i when i'm there too i'm like not getting angry and trying to be even-minded and stuff goes right and stuff goes wrong and that kind of thing but um i don't associate buddhism with the uh bhakti of uh hinduism however i mean i'm still doing it and uh i appreciate it well that's that's why i'm bringing the topic up because it really the buddha said you know it's good to feel that juice and sometimes it gets left out and that's exactly what why i ended up writing awakening joy because i lost my joy and it was i got really serious about my practice and it was uh it was dead for a while i got dead serious about my practice um and that's you know now we have mingyur rinpoche is writing the the joy of living and and mm. now joy and uh is kind of is come come back but joy is one of the seven factors of enlightenment 
the Buddha said, yeah, bliss, that's a, that's a jhana factor. He, and every, every night he would go into jhana and he'd say, ah, this is one pleasure I will let myself have, uh, the bliss of, of this. So we can go overboard on the other way. And if your kids in, your, in school do it for you, then borrow their joy. <laughs> okay. Bring it into it. All right. Okay, it's almost time. Maggie, we, we have uh, just one last, one last comment from, from Australia. Maggie. Hi, hello. Um, I remember feeling that, I, I remember my teacher a long time ago, he said, oh, why don't we just face it that we're Buddhists? And, and I remember I was driving down the road, reflecting on that sometime later. And I thought, and then I suddenly realized that I was a Buddhist. And I remember that feeling of joy. Then I, I really do remember that was so, quite a profound moment for me then. Mm, um, mm, mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, when, you got in, to... when you got in touch with the fact that, oh yes, this is, this yeah. is my path. Yeah, yeah. But I, I feel like it's so integrated into my life, like everything. I just that's the lens I look for, and 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 so I, in in recent time, I, d I don't know. Um, I, I do get a lot of joy out of it, but mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I that word devotion still has baggage for me, and it has mm -hmm. baggage sort of because I know some people really give their life and their power away to like certain monks and nuns so they really give everything away and even uh, that sort of letting go of that's responsible for their own life and yeah and i find i do still find that difficult yeah sure and yeah. that's why the buddha said hey no you can you can worship this form for a hundred years and not see the buddha so he warned against that but as you were just saying, sharing your experience, uh, you were driving down the road and all of a sudden you had that feeling. Yeah. As you were saying it, how did it feel as you were, as you were talking about it? it was, yes, it was sort of like very, very expansive. It was a very right there. You were right yeah. there again. Yeah. That's, this is what I'm suggesting. Remember that moment that moment is your doorway to that that feeling of spontaneous juice and joy yes and it's in there if we can if we can re all you have to do is remember and you're recalling it's like your body remembers the tibetans have a have this this idea of insights for insights for um for no sorry triggers for insight that you just remember something and there you are and your body remembers and you just came alive i got a transmission as you were saying it so <laughs> I, I couldn't have been just my imagination and there it was so we it's good to remember those things that really juice us whether you know i'm talking about reverend gary davis and i'm back there 50 years ago playing it on 60 years ago playing it on my 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 
record player. Ah, yeah, it's there in us. And we just, we want to awaken it. We want to, we want to keep it alive. So it's time to close. I'll, I'll just, um, I'll share with you one last quote from my, uh, another one of my main teachers, Punjaji, Papaji, who said, this is for me what the essence of devotion is. The desire for freedom is our most intense desire. All other desires are on the surface. They rise and fall, you see, but the desire for, for freedom can be so intense that you must respond to it. And when you respond, this desire will bring you back home. It will continue to trouble you if it is not fulfilled. This desire must be fulfilled whether you like it or not. So I encourage us to get in touch with how much we love the Dharma, how much we love the truth, whatever it is that opens your heart and, and, and moves you, um, that's your doorway to devotion for practice. And whether you use that word or use another word, your love of the truth, whatever word you call it, um, cultivate it because it's a real, it's a real asset for your practice. That's the vehicle that which you share your love. So let's just dedicate the merit. Here we are together because we have been touched by the Dharma with like-minded friends. How fortunate we all are. And let's just share our good fortune um, with all beings everywhere. May all beings be touched by the truth and feel their own goodness. No true happiness and peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.